0: It is our prayer that our funds offered through any Armstrong Easter offering uh, would go for the furtherance of God, the gospel through churches like the Red Door uh, there in Cincinnati, Ohio. As we come this morning, we have been ta- talking about, uh, through the course of this series, the local church, the importance and priority of the local church within the life of the believer. And I pray that this series has challenged some of the approaches and attitudes prevalent within our culture to say that the church is not important for the individual Christian. I pray that we would not disrespect or downplay the significance of the local church within the life of each and every Christian. Now, we have said through the course of our study, first of all from Ephesians 5, that the church is what God Himself loves in such a passionate way that we as His followers also should love it. Hebrews chapter 10, we saw that we need the local church because it is the primary tool that God has given to facilitate the flow of the gospel to the ends of the earth and to conform the individual Christian into the image of Jesus Christ. We saw in Romans chapter 12 that we are to worship God because of who he is and that we are to use those spiritual gifts that he has given to us. And in first Peter chapter four, we saw that we are to be good stewards of those gracious gifts. God has Given in order to build up the body of believers. We said that body worship and body building are not optional benefits of God's, of the individual Christian. They are ordained blessings for God's children. Colossians chapter 3. We said that what matters most within the church of the living God is a firm commitment to love, to teach, and to live by God's Word. We challenged ourselves last week to consider the the point of redeeming our Sundays, of putting a priority upon our worship, upon our time together, so that we might get the most out of that day that we spend with God's redeemed people. And as we have seen through the course of this series, there is a vital link between a Christian's connection to a local church and their continued continued growth and maturity in Jesus Christ. Now, let's be honest for just a moment, though. Let's just be honest for a moment and let's pull ourselves back. Each of us know upon reading and studying for any length of time within the course of the New Testament how important and how vital the local church body is to the individual Christian but see, there's oftentimes a temptation, a, a, a thought that creeps into the back of our mind. We look at the church, we look at the New Testament church and we say, wow, that was a place of power. Wow, that was a place that was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was a church that was accomplishing great things. But we begin to ask the question in the back of our minds, can God use me? Could God use us? And we tend to see the men and women of the Bible through rose-colored glasses with some sort of super spiritual stature. And we begin to see ourselves in a totally different light. And we begin to pull ourselves back and say, you know what? I'm not quite sure God could use me in the same way that he has used so many through the course of human history. But the reality of the revelation of Scripture is just this, that God intervenes in the most ordinary lives of human history to bring about extraordinary salvation and works of power to reveal His goodness and His grace. Indeed, we need to understand the Bible is not so much a book about us as it is a book about God, a a book about God's love, about God's grace, about God's mercy, and how He interrupts the ordinary human life and He fills it. And pours out His goodness and grace so that His redemption and restoration might renew us and give us a place, a part in ministering to others. See, human history is really God's redemptive story of His grace and His love changing and transforming rebellious renegades into useful vessels. And the question we must, not, we must ask is not, could God do this with me? But rather, will I be a part? Will I be a part of God's redemptive story? See, I want you to imagine the eternal show and tell that's going to occur on that day when God returns and He gathers His church home and He brings all of those who are blood believers in Jesus Christ before His throne and He starts running them across the stage one at a time, showing and displaying the glory and grace He has given within their lives. Can't you just imagine as Moses, a man, who is um, uh, as Abraham, the shepherd man who was on the backside of the wilderness, is now displayed as a man who has the greatest family that has ever been known in the course of human history. Oh, yeah, and he tried to give away his wife of promise twice. What about Moses? A Moses, a man who was guilty of murder, a man who was hiding out on the backside of the wilderness in the midst of nowhere, hanging out on the backside of that wilderness. And all of a sudden, God comes to him in the form of a burning bush. And he says, listen, I want you to go and lead Abraham's children out of slavery there in Egypt. What about Rahab? You remember Rahab, don't you? The prostitute there within Jericho who God used to comfort and to provide shelter and aid to his people in that time as they began to conquer the land indeed we see throughout human history God breaking in to the ordinary lives of ordinary people and using them to do extraordinary things there's the shepherd king who is guilty of murder who is guilty of adultery and yet God in his word records that he is a man after God's own heart we see the disciples, this motley bunch of ragtag collection of men a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and all all kinds of people who are not exactly the wanted sort within the community or culture and yet these men are gifted with it with uh they are gifted uh with communicating the message of redemption to the ends of the earth then the woman at the well she has had five husbands and a live-in lover and yet jesus takes her and says i'm going to use you to evangelize your entire city saul a man whose very breath was his death to the saints of Jesus Christ, he says, listen, I'm going to take you, I'm going to clean you up and I'm going to cause you to be my witnesses even before the kings and the princes and the rulers of this world. What a great God we serve. Isn't that exciting? That's the kind of story that is going to be told on that redemption day. And we play a part in that. We get to have a part in that. What a great story. Here we are today. Those who by faith in Jesus Christ have repented from our sins, who by God's grace, not of our works, uh, are redeemed and saved and now being used by God as vessels of ministry within our community and within our culture. What were we In and of ourselves, we were nothing. We were nobody. We had absolutely no hope. We had no part of the promise. But in Jesus Christ, God's redemption and restoration has flooded our souls. And now he has us ready to go and to be a mighty force to take the gospel to the the world. And as we come today and we ask that question, can God use me? We're going to look, look at, it, at the answer through a conversation that Jesus has with one of his disciples, the disciple named Peter. We're going to look at that conversation that he has in John chapter 21 after Peter has denied him, after Peter has rejected him, after Peter has been a turncoat, and we're going to see that our God is a God of redemption, a God of restoration, a God who can take anybody from anywhere with anything in their past and make them useful tools to accomplish his will. So we come this morning. Let us answer that question, can God use me, by saying the answer is yes, yes, yes. But in order for him to use us, we must come on his terms. And we must approach him and give our lives in surrender and say, Lord, take me, use me, do whatever you wish. Father, let me be useful In my master's hands, let's stand now as we turn to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. And there see the conversation and the answer to the question, can God use me? Verses 15 and following in John chapter 21, the word of God says this. So so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Ten my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? and he said to him lord you know all things you know that i love you jesus said to him tend my sheep father we thank you for your grace and your goodness we thank you that when we falter when we fail father when we even turn uh, our backs on you you never turn your backs on us your back on us father you love us You have redeemed us and restored us by the grace that you have given in Jesus Christ. Lord, let us understand your character. Let us be conformed to your character. And Father, let us be people who, Father, as we receive the love and the grace that flows from your throne and fills our lives, that we would be those people who then let it flow and fill others' lives through us. Father, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate your word. Father, that you would show us what we need, who we are. And Father, show us who you are. Show us our sins. Show us your Savior. And Father, let us surrender ourselves fully to you and to you alone so that you might use us mightily by your grace and for your glory. Father, we pray now that, Father, you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see within this passage this morning that in grace and love Jesus Christ restores repentant renegades to serve His kingdom and purposes by calling them to care for His body the bride and bride the church. In grace and love Jesus Christ has something planned something that is amazing something that it surpasses anything you and I could ever ask or imagine He has a plan to restore repentant renegades, those who have rejected Him, those who have turned back on Him and turned away from Him. Those who are walking away, He has a desire to restore them so that they might serve His kingdom and His purposes by calling them to care for His body and His bride, the church. So we come this morning, we are going to answer that question, can God use me? But first of all, as we open up this passage of Scripture, I want us to start with a backdrop of rejection. A backdrop of rejection. Understand that this conversation happens against the backdrop of rejection by Peter. And without a doubt, within this passage, these were some of the most extraordinary days in the course of human history. Jesus had been resurre- prosecuted, or persecuted, prosecuted and punished by death on a cruel cross as if he was nothing more than a common criminal. Here is Jesus, the perfect and pure Lamb of God, never having sinned, never having done anything wrong, not co- compromised one law according to God's law, and yet he's killed as a common criminal. Man, that was a sad day. But what a glorious day when three days later He rose from the grave. Now everything had changed. He had risen. He was walking among His people and soon He was going to ascend back to heaven to reign and to rule over His redeemed kingdom. But in the course of these last few days of Jesus' life upon this earth, Jesus keeps reappearing to His disciples to reassure them in the call of the ministry that He has given to them. Indeed, He's given them a a mission to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and he's coming alongside and saying listen I want you to remember I'm never going to leave you I'm never going to forsake you I'm going to be right there to see you through one morning Beside the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus appears in the midst along that shore. And as the dawn breaks, there are seven, seven, flounder, seven fishermen floundering in futility along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. They've been out and they're not catching anything. Here's the Bassmaster pros, if you will. They know how to catch fish. These are professional fishermen. And all of a sudden they hear a voice from the the land and they hear this voice cry out, Do you have any fish? No, we don't have any fish. Well, why don't you let your nets down on the right side of the boat? Just let your nets down and just see what happens. And they're going, what in the world is this guy? I mean, if he was a real fisherman, he would be on a boat with us, right? He'd be out here among us. Who is this? What, what is he talking about? And you've got to understand, the backdrop is just this. Not too far from this place would have been the place that, he, that Jesus Christ had taken five loaves and two fish and fed a multitude of 5,000. They hadn't known how to love and how to trust how God would provide and protect his people and his sheep. And now they hear a command from the from the shore, throw the nets on the right side and you are going to have a catch. They do immediately and indeed, they again find provision more than they could have ever asked or imagined. They're not sure exactly what is going on, but John puts it together very quickly and says, this is the Lord. This one who has cried out, who has called out to us is the Lord immediately. Peter, being the brash and bold person he is, often acting without thinking, you and I never have that problem doing here goes Peter jumping in and he's swimming across to the shore he swims and he swims and there he sees Jesus but understand that morning Jesus had come to provide for his followers. That morning, Jesus had come to prepare and serve a breakfast to his disciples. But he had come for a much more important reason, a much more pressing reason. You know why he was there that morning? He had to talk to Peter. He had to talk to Peter. See, Peter arrived on that shore and he found his risen Lord, the same Lord that he had denied just a few days earlier, sitting at a small charcoal fire. Perhaps this fire reminded Peter of that small fire he had been sitting around when he had denied Jesus Jesus three times. Surely there was some apprehension as Peter reached the shore, as he saw his Lord. Indeed, Peter, noted for his boldness and his brashness, came face to face with his Lord immediately after rejecting him. Now here was Jesus who had been rejected by the world. He had been rejected by the religious leaders, but he had even been rejected by the disciple who once had said, even if all these others forsake you, I never will. And now he's looking into the eyes of his Lord. And we see a backdrop of rejection. Now the reality is each of us can relate to this, can't we? Each of us know what it's like. Each of us has stumbled. Each of us has stuttered. Each of us has rejected Jesus at various times in various ways by our affections and our attitudes at some point within the course of our history. And the question for us is does that drive us away from Jesus or does it drive us to Him? In this moment, Peter knowing his rejection of Jesus, was drawn to him because he knew the character of his Lord. He knew the character and concern of his Lord. Indeed, God's redemptive plan in human history is to save sinners, to be displays of his glory and grace to others who are in need of his grace and redemption. See, he cleans us up, he takes us in, and he then, in the midst of our story of rejection, gives us the story of redemption. And that's what we want to see in verses 15 through 17, that in the midst of a backdrop of rejection, we see a conversation of redemption, a conversation of redemption. For Peter was probably a bit more subdued this morning than he normally was. He wasn't probably, he wasn't quite as quick to speak. He wasn't quite as quick to give the answers. Wouldn't you be if you were only a few days removed from saying, I did not, I did not, I did not know or follow this man? This man who I'd been walking with for three years. This man who I believed was the Lord and Savior, the Messiah of the living God, sent to redeem my sins. Here's Peter racing through his mind. Mind's going a million miles a minute, isn't it? You know what it's like, right? I mean, I was amazed the other night. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had about 5,000 conversations in the span of what was five minutes when I looked at the clock. Mine's racing a million miles a minute. And Peter thinks about it. Peter's mulling it over in the back of his mind. Can things ever be made right? Can things ever be reconciled between myself and Jesus? You know the uncertainty. You know those doubts. You know those times when you were pressed, hard pressed, at different points in your life, saying, listen, I've fallen short. I failed my Lord. Let me ask you you ever felt like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs? Just waiting for the rocker to come down and fall across your tail? You know what you deserve from God. You know that if He was just it, if He just gave you what you deserve, you would deserve absolutely nothing and that you would get hammered. You would be speechless and you would have no way to stand in His presence. But aren't you thankful that's not God's character? That not only is He just... He is also gracious that he has a redemptive love. Listen to the conversation between our Lord and the one that had rejected him. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Don't you imagine that penetrated Peter's heart? I mean, that just cut to the core, cut to the quick. Do you love me? Listen, Peter, if you love me, why in the world would you have done all these things? Why would you have rejected me? Why would you have denied me? Why And Peter in that moment, he probably didn't... I mean, I can just imagine. He's looking at his feet and he doesn't even want to raise his eyes. He doesn't want to look up at his Lord. He doesn't want to look at those other disciples who were sitting there and had heard him say, listen, if all of these others fall away, I will never fail you. There he sits. His boldness... Is crumbling into cowardice, and softly he speaks and he answers his Lord's question. He says, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." Jesus immediately says, "Then tend or feed my sh- my lambs. Tend or feed my lambs. Listen, Peter, I know what you did. I know what you said, but I've got a purpose for you still to p- apart for you still to play. I've got a purpose and a part for you to play. You need to feed my lambs." Without a pause, he immediately goes into the second question. Simon, son of God, do or son of John, do you love me? Again, Peter looks and he replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Somewhat confused, somewhat bewildered. Why in the world did Jesus ask him that a second time? Immediately it's pressed. And the third time, Jesus, or after that, Jesus says, Then shepherd my sheep. I still have a part for you to play. I still have a purpose for you to fulfill. Fit shepherd my sheep. Then that third question lands upon his ear Simon, son of John, do you love me? This third time grieved Peter. Because in that moment, sitting at that charcoal fire, it was upon his conscience what he had done, the denials that he had made of his Lord and Savior, just like he had had three denials. Now there were three, a uh, three time confession, a three time question that brought out a confession that he loved Jesus. Can't you just feel Peter's face go flush? Can't you just feel in those moments the tears well up in your eyes as you're caught in the midst of the reality of where you are of just how fickle you are of just how faithless you are of just how far you have fallen from God and the emotion catches in your voice and in exasperation Peter cries out he calls out as, as he is confronted with his fickleness you know all things Lord you know me you know what I'm going through you know how I've gone how, how things have gone you know exactly who I am and what I've done Lord, you know I love you. Peter, I know you love me. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Isn't the care and compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so wonderful? Isn't it beyond words? Isn't it beyond description? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't deal with us the way we often deal with our friends and family members? Aren't you thankful That God would look and say, you know what? You failed. You faltered. You've got problems, but I still have a part for you to play, I have a purpose for you to fulfill. Jesus confronts Peter's rebellion and rejection in such a way that really he is taking him through the process of repentance and restoration. He is taking what we would have thought of as an irrevocable wrong and redeeming and restoring the relationship, giving him a piece, a a part to play, a place, a priority within the church. And he says, listen, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I know. You know that I love you. Do you love me lord you know all things you know that i love you peter if you love me love my church feed my flock shepherd my flock feed my sheep isn't that amazing For three denials, there are three general questions walking him through repentance and restoration, three great confessions that Peter makes, and following those three great confessions, there are three gracious commands that even though Peter may have fallen, even though Peter may have faltered, even though Peter may not have fulfilled all that God had for him, still God has a part for him to play. Peter, listen, I'm going to restore you. And I'm going to let you fulfill what you were created to do. Peter was ready to put his love into action and reclaim his true calling to care deeply about the flock of God, tending, feeding, and shepherding God's sheep through the course of his life. Is he trustworthy? Is he good enough to have overcome? Indeed, if you and I had been forsaken, if we had been rejected, if we had been denied by somebody in this way, surely we would have held it over them, right? we would have used it as an opportunity to beat them up and beat them down. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is having a redemptive conversation that restores Peter to fulfill his calling of being an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. And so Jesus' command to Peter is to care for his flock, to care for his followers. Jesus says, listen Peter, if you love me, you can best express your love for me in your love and care For my people. Have you ever thought about that story in that way? Have you ever stopped for just a moment and seen the gracious love of our great God flowing through the story saying, listen, if you love me, then you're going to love what I love. And if you love what I love, you're going to love my church because I have redeemed my church by my grace and for my glory. What a great story. That as objects of grace in in the midst of redemption, we now become vessels of God's grace in the redemptive story of others. That as we have been redeemed, as we are objects of God's grace, now we are being filled with His grace in such a way that we become vessels of God's grace to others who are all around us. What a great conversation of redemption that is going on. And the same offer for Peter is the same offer for you and I. And so I want to see for see uh, see this morning not only the backdrop of rejection and the conversation of redemption, but I want to see a challenge for you and I as well. A challenge for us. Jesus has something to say. He's, he's talking specifically to Peter at this point in time. But understand, this is recorded so that we can hear it, so that we can know the character of our great God. And the question comes to you and I, do we see ourselves in Peter? Do you see yourself in Peter, bold and brash, often going it alone, thinking you'll be a spiritual Lone Ranger and you're going to make your own way only to find yourself miserable as you fall on your face? Isn't it amazing? I wish I didn't see myself in Peter, but you know what? The reality is I do. I see myself. Good intentions, great plans. Gonna great do great a uh, great work for God, but then a botch follow through leads me to failure again. We recognize in those moments when Jesus astonished, We recognize those moments time and time and time again when Jesus astonishes us with His grace. When we know our language, our lives, and our love have not met God's standards, but He assures us through His Word, through His Spirit, and by and through His people. His grace is sufficient for our need. That His power is made perfect in our weakness. See, our faults and flaws are really nothing more than God's opportunities for His redemption and restoration to be spread abroad within the context of this world. God is looking at our lives and He sees our faults. He sees our flaws. He sees our failures. He sees those times when we need Him most. And He says, you know what? I have given my one and only Son to redeem and to restore the, re- the relationship that was broken Because of your fickleness and failure. What a wonderful God. And yet we are like Peter. We love Jesus. We really do love Him, but we have trouble putting our faith and our love for Him into action. It doesn't help that we are proud and enjoy our own independence. Perhaps the church and all that it comes with, that comes with it feels a little bit to us like baggage. It's weighing us down. It's slowing us down. It's hindering us. Why in the world would I want to be a part of that? We want to try to get, to go, go it alone, but then we make a mess of each and everything that we decide to pursue. And we embarrass ourselves, we embarrass our Savior, and we embarrass our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And then we stand there trembling, waiting, wondering, what is God gonna say? What's He gonna do? What in the world's gonna happen to me? We've got one strand of hope left, and the scissors seem to be closing in, and it's about to snap. And we go, What in the world is gonna happen to me? I've fallen, I've faltered. I failed. Moments like this, we must know the character of our God. We must know the character of Jesus. We need to know the character that He displays within the context of the Scripture. In moments when we have made a mess of everything and we have not been servants who are pleasing in God's kingdom, Jesus comes to us with redemption and restoration. He comes to us and He knows that we love Him. Surely He knows everything. He knows our hearts' desire to love Him and to please Him and to let our love and our faith respond in right action. And Jesus is looking and going, I know you love me, and I know you've fallen, but I need you to see in humility and repentance just how much you need me. I want you to come in my grace and in my love and experience redemption and restoration. See, Jesus has something we can't live without. He has forgiveness. He has redemption. He has reconciliation with the living God. He has something important for us to do. He, he desires for us to love Him and to serve Him and to play a part of His redemptive message going to the ends of the earth. If we love Jesus, listen, He has made us a part of His body and His bride, the church. And He has a purpose for you and I to complete just like our Lord loves our church. He wants us to love his church by using our spiritual gifts. See, Jesus wants us to do something very specific. Now, you and I, if we were pressed on this issue, we would respond in this way. We would have expected a different statement from Jesus, wouldn't we? See, we would have expected him to say, Peter, you love me. What do you mean you love me? If you love me, you would never sin. If you love me, you would never have denied me. If you love me, you would have never rejected me. Peter, what's wrong with you? If you love me, you would evangelize the whole world. Peter, if you love me, you would have communed with me in private for 12 hours a day. Peter, if you love me, you would take hell out with a water pistol. Get going. And we think those, that's the command that God's going to give us. But look at the answer God gives in his graciousness and his love. Peter, if you love me, love what I care about. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, shepherd my flock. Listen, Peter. You need to care deeply about what Jesus cares about. That is your true calling, and that is our true calling. When the opportunity presented itself to tell Peter how to love him, our Lord simply said, love me by loving my my people, by loving my sheep. Listen, loving what Jesus loves is always a matter of priority for his children. No matter if you are an impulsive apostle who is named Peter, a perpetrator of persecution, named Saul or fickle pastor named Todd you fill in the blank see we all have troubles But our God is a gracious God, a great God who can take anyone from anywhere with anything in their past, clean them up, wash them in the blood of Jesus Christ and give them a new heart, a new life and a new start. He can change and transform you not because of who you are and what you can do. He can change and transform you because he has given his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive your sins. He has given his Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and to conform you to the image of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Jesus challenges his people to care for to nurture and to tend his flock and the reality is that call exists from that day where he had this redemptive conversation to you and I here in Goldsboro today see the next page of the Bible is Acts chapter 1 And this is the first page of church history as redeemed men and women that committed themselves to fulfilling the Great Commission. The reality is that every Christian here today traces their spiritual heritage back to this this very page. For Jesus charges His disciples to be His Spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth. You want a profile on commitment to the church within the New Testament, then you read the story of Acts. You see the way that the the church is constantly responding to God's call to love and to serve one another. You read the rest of the story as Paul Harvey used to call it, that little ragtag group of 120 led by a man named Peter who had fallen, who had failed, who often put his foot in his mouth. He, they made a difference and touched the world and by God's grace and for God's glory, they carried the gospel out and you know what? Because of their response to serve and to rightly serve Jesus Christ in their life, there is an unbroken chain from the Sea of Galilee where Jesus Christ sat down with those apostles, with those disciples, all the way to you and I here in Goldsboro today. And the question is, will we be part of the unbroken chain? Will we love what Jesus loves? Will we participate will we fulfill the part God has given us to play within the redemptive story of history? This is our place. This is our time. God has planted you exactly where He intends for you to bloom. I want to ask you today, do you love God and do you love His church? Do you love it enough to surrender everything so that you might serve Him, so that you might fulfill the ministry He has given you. We are Christ's church, given to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, beginning in this community. Listen, Jesus would later tell Peter within that passage, you want to know how to live your life? You follow me. You keep following me. You keep loving me. You keep loving the things that I love. And as long as I am the first and only priority in your life, everything else will fall into place. Let me tell you this morning if you want to be a committed Christian that will serve God and fulfill fill the purposes He has for you, then the first and most important thing you can do is surrender everything to Him. God, I'm yours. Take me. Fill me. Use me. See, in grace and love, Jesus Christ restores repentant renegades to serve His kingdom and purposes by calling them to care for His body, His bride, the church. And the question for you and I is do we love and serve our great and gracious God. Let us be people who are committed to love Him and to serve Him, to give everything to Him so that He might, through us, reach the world with His grace for the redemption of all mankind. Father, we come to You in these moments asking, Father, that You would lead and guide this time of decision. For those who don't know You, Father, I pray that they would see their sin, that they would see where they fall short of Your glory, where they do not meet Your command, Your standards and Your commands. Father, where they have not loved You in the way that they should. And Father, that You would lead them to repent of that, to give their lives and surrender to You, so that You might clean them up, so that You might dress them up. And Father, so that You might display Your glory and Your grace within the watching world. Father, I pray for those of us who do know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But perhaps we've fallen on difficult times, we've stumbled or stuttered, we've fallen down, and Father, we've forgotten just how much You have done for us. Lord, in this moment today, let us see that You still have a part for us to play. You still have a purpose for us to fulfill. Father, let us give ourselves to you anew. And Father, as we do, let us see that what you love is what we are to love. And that if we truly want to love you, we can best express our love and affection for you by loving your church, your bride, your body. Lead us and guide us in this time of invitation in Jesus name. Amen. As we stand today, let's sing I Surrender All. I Surrender All.